the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He shows compassion on all his creation. This is the word of God for us today. Praise be to God. Thank you, Isaac. Grab a seat. If I wasn't pastoring, I think I would be a hospice nurse. Uh, It all started on December the 9th last year. I was sitting in an oncology specialist's office with my father-in-law. His name is Richard. And he'd just been shown a scan of his body from a few minutes earlier. And the news was not good, the news was bad. After 10 years of fighting prostate cancer, his body was now riddled with cancer and the specialists were telling him that the fight was now over. He wouldn't be starting any further treatment. I remember Richard asking the specialists in Richard's way, so what do you suggest I do now, chaps? And they looked at each other and one of them kind of cleared his throat and he leaned on the armrest of his chair a little bit more and he looked Richard in the eyes and Richard stuck his hand out and he shook their hands. And with his voice shaking just as much as his hand was, he declared to these specialists, well, that's what I will do then. Thank you for all you have done. And at hearing that, sitting just behind him, I remember saying in my mind and in my heart as well to myself, if that's what he is going to do, that's what I will do too. And with that, we got Richard into the car and we started the trip home to do exactly what we had decided. So the next day, December the 10th, 2021, I've taken the rest of the year off work and we began the work of palliative care of of Richard at home. We all took turns and we all had responsibilities as we uh, looked after him in various ways. Uh, For me, mainly it was helping him move where he needed to get to in the morning and in the evening and serving him a few things as he needed. But as the days went by and as the condition started to worsen, it turned into more vulnerable things that we needed to do, things like showering him, dressing him, changing colostomy bags and administering to him pain relief. And in all the ups and the downs of the journey, I found myself each morning praying a very similar prayer. The prayer was very short and the prayer just went like this. God, help me to stay consistent in caring today. God, help me to stay consistent in caring today. God, help me to stay consistent in caring today. Now, Richard, he made it through to Christmas. But from then through to early January, things got a lot harder. I moved into the bedroom next door and every night I would do the night shift. I'd get up several times and I'd administer pain relief and I'd check on things with him. And then in the morning, Gab would come around and would tag over and I'd take Jimmy and I'd go off and I'd do some stuff with Jimmy for the morning so she could be at home with her dad and with her mum. And then I'd sleep all afternoon and then I'd do it all again for the next evening. I'd do the night shift again. And as we got nearer the end and Richard's body started to shut down, several times I needed to find help in the middle of the night. And so I would call the hospice. I'd call and I'd get this hospice nurse working the night shift. Her name was Andrea. She was such a help. And on January the 5th at about 2 a.m. in the morning while I was was administering some sort of concoction to Richard that he needed at that hour, Richard took a big breath and, and he had tears in his eyes and he looked at me. And he said, Dan, I can see that you have acted on your principles. And for that, I greatly admire you. 
Now, Richard wasn't a follower of Jesus. To be honest, most of what I do with my life has been a mystery to him. So those words, those words are the most precious words that my father-in-law ever said to me. It was a holy affirmation. Words that were like a signpost that said, faith in action, and it's been spotted. I said back to him that night, I said, Richard, it's been my absolute pleasure. I hope you know that. And as I walked into my little side bedroom, and I fumbled to plug my phone back in in the dark, I wiped tears off my cheeks as I took in the words that he just said to me. I lay on the bed and I thought about the story that I was sitting in in the middle of at this moment. I was looking after a man as he died. I was doing hospice care. Hospices weren't started by the government, I found myself thinking. Historically, hospice was a work of the church. It's the work of saints. It was started by people who had been swept up into the way of Jesus and they were so marked by compassion, they couldn't help but give their lives away to those who needed it. And in this particular instance, to the dying. This was a compassion ministry I found myself in the middle of. And if I wasn't pastoring, I still found myself in the middle of ministry. Now, two nights later, Richard passed away. And not long after that, I called that hospice line one last time and I got Andrea one last time. And Andrea said to me, uh, she gave to me the final steps that I needed to take in looking after what had just happened. And then she said, that, she said this to me at the end. She said, well, I said to her, thank you so much for your help this week. You've been amazing, Andrea. And she said, you have been too. You've done an amazing job. And she said, you know, you can come and do this. We need men like you. And that's when the thought flicked across my mind. Maybe if I wasn't pastoring, I would. If I wasn't pastoring, I'd like to be a hospice nurse. Now, allow me just to crash this opening story back into earth with a very large disclosure with you all this morning. I am not a very compassionate person. Now, every gifts test that I take online, you know the ones that you can do that tell you your spiritual gifts? Every one of those that sort of spits out a dozen different gifts you can be, every one of them at the bottom every single time since I was a teenager, empathy, mercy, compassion, at the bottom. Basically, my gifts tests tell me this, I don't care. Leash, Leash does those and they're at the top. What that means is Leash actually does care. Those of you who have sat with her as she cares for you pastorally, you know this to be true. You know that's what she does. But me, I mean, to be honest with you, my list of compassionate shortcomings is a very long and a very illustrious list. I have spent most of my life faking it till I make it when it comes to all things compassion and care. I'm an Enneagram 7, and for those of you who know your Enneagram, you'll know that I, love to I need to avoid pain at all costs. That means I'm not good with my own pain, and I'm definitely not good with yours, all right? But over the years, slowly and surely, bit by bit, 
Jesus has been teaching me how, moment by moment, thing by thing, a compassionate way to be in the world. And that's why I tell you the story of Richard. And that's why I tell you about that crazy thought of, if I wasn't pastoring, maybe I'd be a hospice nurse. Not because it's a grand story of how great I am. No, it's not. It's actually a story of my absolute weakness. It's a story of transformation. And if you truly knew me, and some of you do, you'd know how preposterous this whole thing actually is. I tell you that story today because it's a witness in my life that Jesus is doing something in me. He's building something beautiful where there has been a lack. Now, Jesus is my rabbi for my life, as I'm sure he is for you as well. He is the one I am apprenticing my whole life after. I look to him and I want to do life as he did. And I cannot deny, as I look at the life of Christ, his was one of compassion. Compassion was the epicenter of all the action that came from Jesus. His healing work, his justice work, his correction, his invitation, his care, his going to the cross, all of it, every single interaction was sourced from compassion. Jesus lived a compassionate life and he invites all of us to do the same. Today, we start the fourth facet of our Holy Following Christ series. We're up to facet number four. We've covered three of these now. We've done the spirit-empowered life. We've done the word-anchored life. We've done the consecrated life. Now we're zipping across to the compassionate life. And looking at the compassionate life, here's the big idea and here's the invitation to this journey. Compassion is a movement of passionate love that pervades our spirit and moves us to good action in the world. Now, God's character and, and, and his love, as our reading from Isaac said today, is compassionate. It's, it's its substance, it's its nature. It is love undeservedly and passionately given to us. It is the posture of God to all of us. It's the gift of God given to all of us, received and experienced. It's this great commandment of Jesus to live in love with God, to know it, to be in it, to exist in it. And then, as those who have experienced this love, it's then to be embodied and lived into the world. It's, it's where this idea of justice actually starts to really play out. Or social justice is probably the more sort of cultural term for it. But actually, historically, a, a better way to, to use that term would have been social righteousness, social rightness, social things being as they should be as the way God wanted them to be. The people of God have always meant to be partnering with God to live his rightness into the world. So, so let's just simplify this big idea down to just a little bit of a simpler phrase of what we're being invited to look at with Jesus in this part of the series. We are invited to be moved by compassion to embody compassion. And, and that's today's talk title. And that's what I want to explore as we just set up these next couple of weeks of looking at the compassionate life. In a world that is aching, in a world with such complex problems, what does it look like when the people of a God who says, I am compassionate, as our reading said today, what does it look like when we receive and we live in that? What, what does it look like? 
Well, when the world is aching and when the ache shows up, there are several words that I think most of us will recognize as to what we find ourselves doing. Here is a little scale of response. Firstly, there's apathy. And apathy is just simply to not care. (laughs) And it's interesting because apathy is a response in itself. Apathy is to choose to not care. It is a a posture of indifference. It's the sort of shrugging of the shoulders with no regard for entering into the moment or the pain or the sense of just saying, look, well, what can we do? Nothing. So we're not going to do anything. So that's the first thing. Second is pity. Now, pity is different from apathy. It is to feel sorry for someone. So it's not to not care. It's actually to respond, but to feel sorry for someone. This is actually the first step towards compassion. But there's, there's this moment when something in us sort of pangs with pain. But that's about where it stops. And, and so we need to kind of move the scale forward a little bit further. Number three, sympathy. Now, sympathy is to care about someone's suffering. So it's not just to feel sorry for them, but it's to show that you care. It's to do something. You know, you might send a text or a card. You, you might make it known to them, hey, I see you. Um, but again, there, there's still more to this scale of response. Next, there is empathy. Now, empathy is to try and understand someone's suffering. So, so here we are entering into the suffering to see it from their perspective. We notice their suffering and we choose to listen and to learn. We seek to connect. We make sure that the gap between them and us is closing down in the moment. Uh, Brene Brown has famously taught that there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. You might have heard her do this before. She, she kind of uses this analogy of a hole and a person in the hole. Um, you know, sympathy is to stand at the top of the hole and say, I see you down there. <laughs> but empathy is to get in the hole with somebody. She says this, empathy is communicating that incredibly powerful message. You're not alone. And that is powerful. But empathy is not the end of the response journey. There's still one more response. And that response is compassion. See, compassion is to seek to relieve suffering. To use Brene's analogy of the whole, It's to be motivated not just to get into the hole with someone and join them in their suffering, but it's to bring a ladder with you. It's to bring a solution and offer some sort of invitation out. Now, now let me just quickly say this. It's very important to say. Suffering is an incredibly complex topic. And I know that. And, you know, analogies about holes and talking about a scale of response can all sort of feel a little bit shallow at times when we're talking about the real life nitty gritty stuff of our suffering. We all suffer and we'll suffer to various degrees. Even in the room right now, there will be various degrees as to which life, how life is going for some of us. I understand that. And if you haven't suffered yet, here's the good news. You're going to. It is one of life's holy grails of things that will happen. And as complex as suffering is, so too can be finding solutions to suffering. It's not easy. There's not just one trick answers here. There's not some silver bullet that will just sort of make this all go away. But don't miss the point here with that scale. The point is, compassion is the most powerful and potent response we can have to suffering. It just is. That's what compassion is. Uh, Back to the little scale here. 
You know, apathy, apathy just doesn't engage. It's this denial or the suffering of suffering or a situation that someone is in. Apathy is this business of transference, actually. It transfers the blame to someone else. It makes it their problem to deal with or to solve. It waits for someone else to do the right thing. It often sounds like, oh, I'd love to help, but dot, 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 or what can I do about that? Nothing. That's how it can sound. But compassion, compassion is when we own the response, when we show up, when we take on responsibility. And deep down, we want to do something about changing the situation for someone. You know, pity, pity is to acknowledge that, I don't know, being a trafficked human being in a sex industry is pretty sad. But compassion, compassion is to then seek freedom solutions for those trafficked individuals. And it's to bring justice to those who are the corrupt individuals who are putting power systems in place for them to get there in the first place. Sympathy, sympathy is to send a card when a friend has lost their loved one. But compassion, compassion is to show up five, 10, 20 years later on the anniversary with, when the grief has reemerged, with flowers in hand, a meal, a bottle of wine, and a knock on the door saying, I know today is hard. I'm here to be with you. Let's tell some stories. Empathy, empathy is to have closed down that knowledge gap and got you know, the positional power kind of leveled out. Empathy is to come to know far more about someone's situation, connecting with them deeply as an equal and hearing them as an equal. But then compassion says, and what can I do to help that story change a little bit better? How can I serve you? How can we make this change? Now in the scriptures, compassion is a word that's found often and frequently. Uh, in Hebrew, it's usually translated from the word racham, which also translates into the word pity, mercy, and love. So some of those things from the scale are kind of being used there in our Bibles as well. Uh, in the Greek, it's, um, it's that word, good luck. Um, <laughs> Splachniosomai, something like that. Let's go with that. It's speaking in tongues. That's what that is. Um, which means to have compassion for, to have pity on, to, and, and that one's heart goes out to someone. And actually what the root of the word really means is that you are moved in your guts. You feel it in here. Literally something in the very core of who you are has felt a pang to do something about something. The big thing about both of these words though, is not just the fact that they are a Hebrew and a Greek word. The big thing is this, they are both verbs. They are doing words. So it's not just about learning the word and what they mean. It's about looking in the scriptures about what happens around the action of the word. In compassion in the scriptures and in the life of Jesus, when we look at the patterns of action around when this word is mentioned, we will see its best meaning and we'll be able to give it its best definition. So I wanna just invite you now to look at the pattern that we'll see around the word of compassion when we look at the life of Jesus. So this is what we're gonna do for the next couple of minutes. So, so as a rabbi who was teaching, Jesus was often teaching on what the kingdom of God was like. And he was using stories and he was using parables and he was filling his hearers' imaginations with images of what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. And while he was doing so, we actually see the word compassion show up a couple of times in particular. Um, firstly, in Luke chapter 10, there's this famous story of the story called the Good Samaritan. Have you heard of that one? Uh, the little trailer version goes like this. There's a man who's been beaten. He's been left on the road. The first two men who come upon him should have helped him and didn't. And the third man who comes across him is actually part of a despised tradition, shouldn't have probably in helping him, did 
help him. You know, it's actually quite a confronting story where those who should have helped didn't and the one who shouldn't have helped did. It's an upside down story. The kingdom of God is upside down like this. It's an inside out lesson. And at the heart of the story, in chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus said that the Samaritan felt compassion. Whoops, I'm just trying to click that. There we go. The Samaritan felt compassion. This was not just a good idea. This was this feeling in someone's body that was the motivator for action. He felt a passion to do the, the right thing for this other person. Uh, perhaps the greatest teaching of all from Jesus is the story of the prodigal son. Do you know that one? A couple of nods, that's good. In Luke chapter 15, it's a story about a son who takes his inheritance from his father early. Just think about that for a second. When you take an inheritance from someone, when they're dead. So taking his inheritance early is basically like saying, I wish you were dead. And he took it and he runs. He, he squanders it all, but when he comes to his senses, he decides to return back to his father because even life with his father, feeding the pigs and being a servant would be better than where he finds himself now. So he decides to return. And in Jesus' story, he says that while the son was still a long way off, the father sees his son. And note again, chapter 15, verse 20, filled with love and compassion, he runs to meet him. This is an incredibly undignified thing in the story. He, he hitches up his tunic and he runs down the driveway to greet his son. How? With a kiss. He covers his son in affection and honor and he calls for a great party to be held because his son is home. Again, moved with compassion is the pattern here. Now, not only did Jesus teach on this, and there's a few more places, but we'll move on. The gospel writers record that he himself is the one who was the embodiment of these very teachings. The phrase that Jesus taught with, this being moved with compassion, also shows up in the life of Jesus as a model. In the gospels, it records this in a couple of different ways. Jesus was moved with compassion, then he would do something. So in Matthew 15, verse 32, he is moved with compassion. He saw the crowd was hungry. He then miraculously feeds them. Or in Luke 7, verse 13, moved with compassion, Jesus saw this widow's tears and he then raises her son. Or in Matthew 20, verse 34, Jesus moved with compassion, saw the blind men, touches their eyes and heals them. So, so here we see this pattern in action. We see what's going on here. Jesus is embodying those very teachings from before and he is showing them in action. And it's this, he is experiencing compassion to then do God's work of rightness in the world. He experiences something that then moves him to action, the feeding of the hungry, the healing, the restoring. And this pattern frames up perhaps the grandest picture of the life of Christ, his own life as the suffering servant who dies on a cross. You know, in the crucifixion story of Jesus, as we come into Easter next year, we're gonna enter into something called Holy Week. And at the start of all of that, we see Jesus weeping with compassion as he comes into Jerusalem. Before the greatest act of embodiment of compassion, the moment when Christ goes to the cross, the event that the church has called the Passion of Christ, 
where God was crucified on a cross and joined the suffering of humanity. He not only got in the hole, he offers a way out. Jesus moved with compassion, enters into the pain of sin, the brokenness and the corruption, the power struggles around him. He enters in and he becomes the man of sorrows. He would take on the world's suffering through his death. And so as we look at this pattern, this big picture pattern, here's what we can say. Compassion seems to start inward with this felt reality of suffering that is in the heart. And it becomes a passionate desire to do something right. And it then motivates the one experiencing it towards right action. When thinking of compassion, Thomas of Aquinas said this. This is a challenging little sentence. I would rather feel compassion than know the meaning of it. I would rather feel compassion than know the meaning of it. Henry Nouwen says this, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion into the condition of being human. Friedrich Buchner, he wrote this, compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. The big lesson here is this. Compassion is not just a theory. It is an embodied reality. Now in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus is teaching this little moment where he's teaching on who his, tri- his true disciples are. And he tells this little moment of saying, you know, some will call him Lord, Lord, Lord. And he will say, but I never knew them. They did all the impressive things. But another way to think about this, act- this teaching of Jesus is perhaps to rewrite it like this. It's entirely possible to do mission without living as a disciple. It's entirely possible to be an activist without actually being a person of love. It's entirely possible to fight for all the right causes and to do it without compassion. And that is a scary, scary truth. And Jesus knows ultimately, actions can be done for the wrong motives and words and theories can be empty. And some people are not his disciples. Why? Because they never loved him. Because to love, love is experiential. And Jesus' commandment that he issued, his greatest of commandments, his highest bar, was that we would experience love in two directions. That we would experience love richly with God and we would richly experience love with others, our neighbours. 
that we would experience love radically lived vertically towards the heavens and our Creator and our Father in heaven, but we'd also experience love lived richly amongst each other as neighbours. It's this cruciform shape, this Christ-like shape, horizontal and vertical. I love how Tom Wright puts it like this. Maybe this helps to flesh out a little bit more. He says, Worship is love on its knees before the beloved, just as mission is love on its feet to serve the beloved. What's the key word in there? Love, beloved. It's both the actions of love. But notice the two postures. One is towards this, this, this posture of worship towards God. One is mission. One is live towards the other. Both of these are calling to live life in love. But note the postures. One is for God. One is for our neighbor. And so commenting on Jesus' story a little bit earlier, that story of the Good Samaritan, I love what Richard Foster has to say about our neighbours. I love how he puts this. Neighbour, says Jesus, is the person near us, the person in need. Jesus refuses to put walls around the word neighbour. No national heritage, no racial origin, no ethnic background, no barriers of class or culture can separate us from our neighbour. You know, to love our neighbour is to love the person near us, the person in need. That is to love the person we find ourselves near is who we are with. When there's a gap with those people between where things should be and they are. And when those things are being experienced in a gap between how things should be if they were right and how they are. What would it look like if they were experiencing the things of God's shalom, his goodness and his kingdom? And when it's not living up to that, when there's a gap, that, that is where a person is in need. And in the kingdom of God, need is this gap between our reality being the way that things should be and the way that things are. If the kingdom had fully come or has fully come. So for example, it's when someone is trapped in a repeating dehumanizing behavior. When we're trapped in that addictive cycle, things are not as they should be. Or when someone is heartbroken from a relationship that has crumbled. Again, things are not as they should be. When someone is hungry, literally in their stomach, hungry and they're not able to source their next meal, things are not as they should be. When someone is not receiving fair treatment for a reason that they can't even control, things are not as they should be. When someone's being marginalized, when someone's being pushed away, again, Things are not as they should be. When someone is being treated like a second-class citizen, when actually we are all equally image bearers with God, aren't we? Things are not as they should be. Or for me, that story I open up with, when someone is dying. You know, when we see that gap, when we see this opening up, the tendency is, let's ignore. Or let's think higher than. Or maybe let's think someone else has got it covered. Someone else will sort it out. Let's disregard. Let's, let's move on. But if we are to live in this pattern from Jesus of being moved with compassion to then do the works of rightness in the world, we will find ourselves living in a whole different set of outcomes. We will not stand at a distance, but we will enter in. And we'll be present with our neighbours as they experience the gap. And compassion, compassion draws us to experience being with the other person in whatever their gap is as we seek for it to close. And with, with is all about proximity. 
with is all about proximity. In the book Compassion, the co-authors Henry Nowen, Donald McNeil, and Douglas Morrison write this, and uh, I'm starting to finish up here. When do we receive real comfort and consolation? The writers ask. Is it when someone teaches us how to think or act? Is it when we receive advice about where to go or what to do? Is it when we hear words of reassurance and hope? Well, sometimes, perhaps. But what really counts is that in moments of pain and suffering, someone stays with us. More important than any particular action or word of advice is the simple presence of someone who cares. When someone says to us in the midst of a crisis, I do not know what to say or what to do, but I want you to realize that I am with you, that I will not leave you alone. We have a friend through whom we can find consolation and comfort. With is about proximity. With is about proximity. Now at first, this little quote here sounds very similar uh, similar to Brene Brown's empathy analogy that I used earlier. But actually on closer reading, there's a little more going on here. The writers are saying that it's not just our ability to show up and be with someone that's the point, but actually it's to stay. In the moments of pain and suffering, someone stays with us. And I don't know about you, but staying is costly. The one who chooses to stay, they stay past where empathy runs out and they enter into another space, the space of compassion. Think about it for a second. You know, it it may mean having to say no to something else that you wanted to do. It may mean a sacrifice. It may mean an inconvenience. It might mean even something uncomfortable. But this, this is where compassion becomes so powerful and it becomes so potent. This is the passion in one's heart to commit to someone to say, I'm going to see it through. I'm going to go to the end with you. Jesus was moved by compassion, so he saw it through to going to the cross. And I can't help but think for all of us today, if we're invited to the same pattern and we're invited to pick up our cross and follow him, then we too are going to need some compassionate power within us to do the same thing. So, if I wasn't a pastor, I think I'd be a hospice nurse. And in the room, there are a whole lot of people who are working every day in compassionate spaces. You know, there are a thousand and one ways that compassion is outworked in our city every day in vocations and callings being lived out. You know, maybe it's nursing, Maybe it's medicine, maybe it's care, maybe it's social work, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's development and engineering and business. And today, I hope that there's something just in this talk here that's reminded you of the call that you, that you said yes to, to pick up those things and to do those things with your time and energy and your life. I hope that you can reconnect that you have a moved with compassion moment that you've been living out with your vocation. I hope you can join the dots there and the Lord joins the dots with you. But maybe... Maybe you need to find a way to outwork compassion. Maybe you haven't found a way yet. Maybe you need to have your own moved with compassion moment and start the pattern for the first time or start it again. And this series, for a few more weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna explore the compassionate life of Christ a bit more. We're gonna flesh it out a bit more. And we're gonna keep asking, how do we live this? 
But as we start the journey for a few weeks, I want to invite you today to a bit of a threshold moment. I wanna ask you a question. And I think this is a question that will hopefully help you to range find how you're going in this journey of the compassionate life, even as we begin, and locate yourself in your own story. I wanna invite you just to do a bit of thinking for a moment with the Lord. Here's the question. To what have I been moved with compassion? To what have I been moved with compassion? You know, take a moment to think about this. You might even want to grab your phone out and jot that down as a bit of a question to think about for the week. Maybe it's something to take into your journal tomorrow morning with the Lord. Maybe it's something to spend time in prayer and reflection and fasting in this week. To what have I been moved with compassion? You know, what moments of compassion, this literal feeling of something in your gut moved you once upon a time? What have you experienced? What gap have you spotted in society? What gap have you spotted in the world? What people have captured your heart? What call has God birthed in you? And and how are you going with that? Where have you been moved with compassion and, and how are you going at embodying that compassion into the world? We're gonna talk about this for a few more weeks, but I leave that question with you today. I think it's a holy question. And with that, I wanna invite you to stand it too. And uh, I wanna invite just some of our worship team to come and join me. And just for these final moments of being gathered together, I feel like there's some ministry that the Lord wants to do. I feel like that in the room today, there are, there are some of us, and it's, it's like we've got a compassionate moment in our story, and it's just gone cold. We've got a compassionate moment in our story, a moment where something was ignited literally in our bones with God in a, in a moment of seeing suffering in the world or suffering in a group of people, or suffering in a moment of society, something in us was like deposited and you just were absolutely engulfed in compassion. And it seems to have gone. It's like it's gone cold. It's coals have just sort of died away where there used to be a flame and a fire. And I don't know your story and I don't know, you know where you've been and what you've done, but I do want to invite you to this moment today to come and receive from the Lord afresh, anew and again, that He would fan back into flame what He did. You know, I think that there's people in this room today and you were given um, clear, compassionate orders almost. You, you, you almost said, oh, I will give my life to that God. And you're kind of standing here today going, what happened? <laughs> Man, I've, it, it's sort of gone. I have a mentor and he says this, he says, old orders are still good orders. And I believe that that's the case today. I believe that that's almost the prophetic thing to bring today, that what he has said is still good and you should still be chasing it. You should still be going there. So the worship team are just gonna lead us, but I wanna invite you, if, if you want to come and respond to God in, the, in that call today, why don't you just come up the front and stand up the front here, sort of around the communion table and and we'd love to take some moments to pray for you and to, to fan into flame with the Spirit of what God is doing in you. Um, it would be wonderful to pray for you. So that's the invitation. Come. Uh, 
Uh, the team are going to lead us just gently in a bit of worship and a bit of song. But, but I, I, I do sense there's some, there's some people to pray for today. To what have you been moved? To compassion. And you know what? It's just gone cold. Well, it's time to light it back up again. It's time to light it back up again. So this invitation, we'd love to pray for you. Come and uh, team, lead us for a few more moments, would you?